a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. If you've been uh, with us over recent weeks, you'll know that we're working our way through the book of Daniel. And uh, we took a break from Daniel last week, it being Easter Sunday. Um, and actually, we're going to take a break from Daniel today as well. So before you quickly find Daniel, uh, we're not going to be in Daniel today. I, I am enjoying working uh, my way through the book. Daniel is a great book. It's got a lot to teach us. We've given the series the title, Faith That Works. We believe that we have got a faith that works for us. But also, it's a faith that we take to work if we're in that sort of environment as well. So uh, we'll be back in the book of Daniel next week, don't worry. And uh, you, can, uh, you can read ahead and look at where we've got to. If you've missed the preachers, you can get them online if you'd like to, if that helps you. But I thought for today that what we would do, it being bank holiday weekends, I thought let's have a, a shorter, perhaps just a more devotional word to help us to look to Jesus once again and uh, remind us uh, about him. And that's certainly what I'd been uh, planning and expecting to do this morning. But uh, I guess like around about two billion or so other people, I ended up spending some of Friday watching a wedding that happened to be on telly. Uh, were any of you in London? Any of you go to London? I wonder one or two of my friends headed down there. I was getting sort of, there were sort of pictures online, or they were taking pictures of, of cars with famous people in and carriages and stuff. Uh, but I guess many of us would have watched the wedding on Friday. And even if you didn't actually watch it, I guess you would have heard that somebody got married. You know, unless you've been living on a different planet somewhere, you couldn't fail to miss you know, the wedding of uh, Prince William and Catherine Middleton on Friday. So we sat down, uh, as I say, like around about, I think the global TV audience was estimated to be 2 billion or so. That's not bad for any programming, is it really? So we sat down on Friday to watch it. And uh, it's funny, somebody said to me earlier, I can't remember who it was, that they hadn't expected to watch it, but almost they got drawn into it as, as they did. And I guess I was a bit like that as well, thinking like, oh yeah, I'll watch it for the kids and for Sarah. You probably ought to. But I just found myself drawn into it. And I was particularly struck by the opening line of the address that the Bishop of London gave, right, Reg Reverend Richard Chartres. Maybe, you, maybe if you watched it, you remember what he said. He said this. He started off his address by saying, Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. So said St. Catherine of Siena, whose festival day it is today, or rather on, on Friday. And I was really struck by that line. Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. And that really got me thinking. It got me thinking, how do you become who God wants you to be? How do you set the world on fire? So I'm watching this thing. I've got all these questions going around in my head now, thinking, well, if he started off by saying that, you know, how? how? What's, the, what's the outworking of it? And I guess what I want to do this morning, uh, in, the, in the few moments that we have together, is to try and answer that question. And we'll spend a few moments unpacking this and seeing what God has for us. Okay, so shall we pray? And uh, then we'll open up God's word 
together. Lord, we do thank you for your presence with us. We pray now, God, that you would speak to us from your word. We thank you that your word to us, the Bible, is living and active. And as we delve into it, we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would apply its truths to our lives. Change us, please. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how do you become then who God meant you to be? Well, we know from the psalm, Psalm 139, the psalmist said, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So the psalmist had a very clear understanding there that it was God that created us. And it was him that knitted us together. So he knows us better than anybody else does. Actually, God knows us better than we even know ourselves. He certainly knows us better than maybe our husband or wife or our friends. God knows us very, very well. Right from when we were created in our mother's womb, he was the one knitting us together. He was the one creating us. And so God was involved right from the very start of our lives. And becoming who God means us to be actually is what God does indeed have for us. It's what he wants for us. He wants us to fulfill that which he has created us for. Now the bishop, when he was speaking on Friday, uh, linked it to marriage because marriage does actually help us with these things. But let me make it very, very clear early on. It doesn't mean that you can't be who God wants you to be if you're not married. And on the flip side of that, nor does it mean that if you are married, you'll automatically become who God wants you to be. The bishop was saying that that sort of close relationship of marriage can help us, but it isn't a given. It's not automatic. And and if you're not married, don't worry, because this applies to all of us, single or married, quite equally this morning. So how then do you become who God meant you to be? Well, there are a few things that I've written down. I guess you would come up with some others possibly. I'm not suggesting for one moment this list is exhaustive. This is, this is I sat down yesterday uh, thinking over these thoughts and preparing for this morning. These are a few things that I came up with. And uh, I can imagine some of you will be grabbing me afterwards going, yeah, but what about, and how about, you know, and there'll be some other things. And maybe together we can come up with a more exhaustive list. But if I was to write a list of some of the things that would be good for us to get hold of if we are to become who God wants us to be, then I reckon these are at the top of my list. Number one, love God and follow him. Love God and follow him. So how do you become who God wants you to be? Well, it has to be in the context of loving God and following him. As we've said already, he was the one who created you, knitted you together. And loving him and following him then is fundamental to being who God wants you to be. In Matthew 22, somebody goes to Jesus and says to him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, this is Matthew 22, 36 and 37 and 38. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So it's very clear, isn't it? Right at the top of our list, I think we have to put, even if you put other things further down the list, this has got to be number one. Loving God and following him. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's, that's the greatest commandment, Jesus said. And uh, friends, for many of us, I guess we'd say, yeah, well, we've done that. We've made a decision to follow Christ. We've uh, decided to follow Jesus to, as we would say, perhaps become a Christian, to put God at the center of our lives. But maybe we need reminding it's not just a one-off decision. It's not that you can look back upon one evening of your life, maybe a long time ago or maybe more recently, or maybe if you're like me, you're not quite sure exactly when it happened. It was over a period of time. It was a process that happened. You made a decision to follow God, to follow Jesus. You made a decision to respond to God's invitation to you. For God's invitation to you for a relationship with him, you made a choice. You accepted that invitation. You made a decision to follow Jesus. But you see, it's not just a one-off decision. It's not just going back to that period of time or that evening or that meeting or that alpha course or whatever it might have been for you. But rather, it's a lifestyle. Loving God and following him is something we do in our everyday lives. Worship isn't just a Sunday morning activity, and it's not just singing either. You know, we talk about a worship time or a worship meeting, or we talk about going to worship. And that's true when the church gathers together, there is that corporate dynamic, isn't there, of the church gathering and worshiping together. But actually, worship is far more than that. Paul put it like this in Romans 12. He said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So actually that's our worship, that's our response to God. It's our whole lives. It's offering our life to him. It's not just about a Sunday morning. It's not just from 10 to 12 once a week on a Sunday here. But rather it's about the whole way we live our lives. The way you live is worship. So the way you work, if you work, is worship. The way you raise your kids is worship. The way you drive is worship. Some of us are thinking, oh dear, at that point maybe. The way you wash up after dinner. The way you study. The way you are with your friends. All of these things can be done to the glory of God. All of these things are a way in which we can worship, we can honour God in these things. It's an active choice every day. And Jesus, uh, at one point in time, Jesus called the disciples to follow him, didn't he? Maybe you know the accounts in the Gospels where Jesus goes to various people and says, follow me. And he makes that individual call to them. And they follow Jesus. We, we can read about it in the Gospels. But, you know, they had to make a choice every day as well. When they got up, are they going to follow Jesus today or are they going to go back to doing whatever they did before? Maybe collecting taxes or fishing. Whatever it might have been for them, is today a day for going back or is it a day for following Jesus once again? They had to make that sort of decision. And friends, 
So do you and I. Every day, everything we do is worship. Now, there are some things that help us. Things like reading the Bible. (laughs) Things like praying. Worshipping with other people. Spending time with other Christians. All these things help us. All these things help to focus our lives in a Godward direction. But remember, you're not saved by any of those things. Good though they are, reading the Bible, praying, worshipping, all good things. But it's not that that saves you. It's not that that makes you a Christian. It's not that that gets you right with God. We were talking about these things last Sunday, weren't we? It being Easter and saying it's not those things that make you right with God, but rather it's knowing and accepting what Jesus has already done for you personally. That gets you right with God. You see, you're not saved by works of any kind, even good things. That's not what saves you. That's not what repairs the relationship between you and God. No, no, you're saved by grace and grace alone. It's a gift of God's. He's paid the price for it. So, so following Jesus isn't about some sort of moralistic lifestyle where we think, okay, well, now I'm going to follow Jesus. I've got these, you know, some have got these rules and this way of living. I better sort of tick these boxes. It's not about that. It's not about that sort of lifestyle. It's about following Jesus. It's a relationship. Christianity is not a religion of doing good things to get right with God. It's a relationship with a living God who has done All that is needed for you to get right with him. Now, you can have a religion of good works, or you can have a religion of grace. We need to understand this, because it's very easy for us, even as as Christians, those who love Jesus, to let this slip sometimes, to fall into a different way of doing things. We can think that, oh, well, you know, we can fall into the trap of a religion that says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. We can think of that sometimes. We can think, well, if I, if I obey what God says, then he will accept me and that'll be okay. Well, friends, that's motivated by fear. That's not the gospel at all. That's, that's dead religion. The gospel says this. The Christian gospel of Jesus says, I'm accepted by God because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Therefore, I obey. I'm accepted first. And therefore, I want to please God. I want to obey him. I want to follow him. So that's motivation by gratitude and by joy. It's very different to a fear motivation. Do you understand the difference if I made that sort sort of clear? We can have one or the other. And we need to make sure that we need to ask ourselves the question every night, every now and then. You know, have I fallen into the religion trap? Am I trying to be accepted by God by what I do? Or have I fully understood that it's the grace of God? It's what God has done through Jesus. It's what he has made possible for us that we need to accept. And therefore we obey him out of gratitude and joy. That's the gospel. And that's what loving God and following him is about. So number one then was loving God and following him. Well, I think if that's number one, number two is serve others. Number one, love God, follow him. Number two, serve others. Jesus went on in Matthew 22. He said, and the second is like it. So he'd already told this, uh, this inquirer what the first greatest commandment was, loving God. The second is like it. 
love your neighbor as yourself. So it's quite simple so far, isn't it? Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, follow him, serve others, as I'm putting it this morning. So loving God comes first, and then loving and serving others comes very quickly afterwards, right there in at number two. If we had a sort of pick of the pops with the chart position this morning. If you're old enough to remember that. That would be in at this week's number two, would be serving others. I won't do that anymore for the others, okay? That's, that's probably quite, quite enough. Jesus put it in a different way like this in John chapter 13. He uh, was talking to his disciples and uh, he said this to them. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus made it clear, loving others, serving others, is really important right there in with say at number two. He told a parable to illustrate it as well. Maybe you know it, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus was again illustrating the points of the importance of loving others. And, and not just people like you. It's really easy, isn't it, to love people like you. You know, those who are, have the same sort of interests as you, those who maybe have a similar stage of family life as you, or maybe have a similar job or background, it's, it's easy to get along with people like that. But the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus was teaching us that actually it's important to love everybody, even if they're not like you, and they're from a different background, even if they've got different experiences or a different age, or whatever difference you might try and identify. Jesus is saying the love of God should overcome that. And our love for others should overcome that as well. And it applies as well to people inside the church and outside the church. So Jesus was saying there in John's Gospel that the way that we're identified as disciples is that we love one another. And what Jesus was primarily saying there is the way that we have a love and a care for one another within the church. So the challenge or the question for each of us is, how are you doing with that? Are you expressing that? Remember, you're not expressing it to get right with God. You're right with God already because of what Jesus has done. If you trust in him, that's settled. But out of that comes a gratitude and a love and a joy and a love for others. So are you loving others? And not just saying, oh yeah, yeah, I think I am, tick the box. But are you expressing that? Are you putting those sort of things into practice? But what is inside the church? What about those who are outside the church, those who maybe don't know Jesus yet? We have wonderful opportunities to serve others, to love other people. The, the Love Derby stuff we did a couple of weeks ago in the city centre was a way where we just wanted to bless people, bless people in the city, show something of God's love to them. And there are things you can do as an individual just as easily. I wonder, in your road or in your street, or your block of flats, or whatever, whatever it might be where you live, are you known as somebody who loves other people? You know, are you the person that people go to in times of crisis? You know, is it your doorbell that gets rung, going, can you help me with whatever it might be? You know, are you the person who is known in your neighborhood as someone who loves others? Because we should be as Christians, shouldn't we? 
It should be, you know, not that we're trying to do it to get right with God because we're right with God already. But out of that, we should be, have such a love for other people you know, we should have that sort of reputation and known as that sort of person. You should be the, the first point of call, if you like, for your neighbours. Because we're looking for ways to serve others and to love them. So how do you become who God meant you to be? Number one, love God, follow him. Number two, serve others. I'm praying to speed up because I promise this wouldn't be too long. Number three, develop close relationships and accountability. Now, this might be marriage. That was the illustration the Bishop of London was, was using on Friday. But actually, in the, in the New Testament, the expectation is the church community. Time and again, you, you see that people respond to the gospel and we're told that they were saved and added to a local church. They were built into a, to a group, a community, a body of believers. You see, the Christian life isn't designed to be a walk on your own. It's designed to be a community experience where you live life as a Christian with others. Now, we need to deal with our propensity to be self-centered because we've all got that sort of innate self-centeredness within us, haven't we? It's just there. But we need to address that. We need to tackle it. And um, I guess the 21st century world is, is very, very independent, isn't it? It's very self-centered. That's not what God intended. He intended us to live in relationships, in community, to be encouragers of one another, be it in a marriage relationship or be it in, in friendships in a community life in the church. The biblical model of following Jesus is a community activity, something you do together. Often we read things in the New Testament where uh, we, we might read an instruction that's, uh, that's written, and we, we, we make it personal. So when Paul says, for example, you know, be filled with the Spirit, well, we make that a personal instruction. Okay, I need to be filled with the Spirit. Well, that's true. But actually, in, for that illustration, that example, rather, Paul was writing to a church. He was saying, be filled with the Spirit corporately. And time and again, things that we make personal, actually, if you look at the context correctly, it's a corporate thing. So much of the New Testament is, is addressed to corporately the church. It's like having sort of use plural. Sort of, if there is a plural of you, whatever that might be, sort of use lot. And time and again, we, we see that in the New Testament because the writing is to groups of people. Yes, making a decision to follow Jesus is something that only you can do. Your parents can't do it for you. Your best friend can't do it for you. Not even your husband or wife can do it for you. You have to respond to the grace of God. You have to respond to that invitation personally. But in terms of then working that out and following Jesus, that's something that we do together. It's only in community that those sort of rough edges are rubbed off as we spur one another on to love and good deeds, as the writer to the Hebrews put it. So develop close relationships and accountability. Number four, Identify and seek to grow in and use your gifts. So remember the question that we're, we're trying to answer this morning. How do you become who God meant you to be? You love God and follow him. You serve others. Develop close relationships. And then number four, identify and seek to grow in 
and use your gifts. Paul makes it very clear. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now I have to be careful because I could spend a whole morning on just that verse. But I mustn't do that because you'd still be here at 3 o'clock. It wouldn't be helpful. But let's understand it. It's to everybody. Remember he's writing to a church here. So every person in the church is writing to a community of people who are saved, who are loving God. He's saying to each one of you, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So it isn't just given to leaders. It's not something that's just given to the more experienced Christian, whatever that might be, but rather to each one, to to everyone. And it's given for the common good, not just for for your building up, not just for your edification, not so that you just might feel good, but rather for the common good. Well, you can't work that out on your own, can you? You have to be in community to work that, that instruction, that sentence out. And it's to each one of you that the manifestation of the Spirit is given. He puts it like this in Romans 12. Paul says, Father, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. God has given every Christian different gifts. And so to live as God intended for us, to set the world on fire, as that earlier quote talked about, to make a difference in the world, or even your neighborhood or road or where you live, you need to know your gifts and to be growing in them. And often people say, well, how do you know what your gifts are? How do you know what God has given you? And what do you enjoy doing? It's often my first question to people. What are you good at? What are you passionate about? What do you feel that God has given you to do? Because actually it's most likely that God has given you a gift or gifts that sort of fit with your temperament fit with the sort of character that he's given you, fit with your passions and interests, because God has created you as a whole. So he's not going to create you in one way and then say, well, now I'm going to give you a gift that somehow doesn't fit that at all, he's totally different. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? Now, I know it's crazy, but that's what I used to think. I remember as I was growing up and I'd hear people talk about these sort of things, I'd think, oh, I really hope God doesn't call me to be a missionary to another country. Not that I've got anything about going anything about other countries. It's just I'm rubbish at languages. And so I was petrified that God would call me to, to another nation and, and I'd have to learn another language. Well, I, I was hopeless even at French and German at school. I mean, it was just abysmal. And so I spent half of my teenage years being terrified that, that God would call me to in, in another nation where I, I'd just be ruined because I couldn't cope with a language. Well, that's just nonsense. Actually, it's far more likely and far more true of who we know God to be for God to create somebody in one way with a certain character and temperament and strengths and interests and passions and then to blow on that with his spirit 
and set those things alight and give gifts of the Spirit that complement what God has done already in us. So do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what God has given you to do? Do you know how you're going to set the world on fire? I want to encourage each of us this morning to, to know what the gifts are that God has put in you. What is he growing in you? What is he speaking to you about at the moment? And don't just uh, fall into a trap of thinking, well, it's always been this, therefore it must always be that in the future. It might be. Or it might be God has got some new things for you. No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, maybe God has got some new things for you, even perhaps this morning. So number four was then identifying, growing the gifts that God has given you. And number five, finish off, give generously. No, you didn't see that one coming. But I think it needs to be in the list as well. See, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So remember the question we're asking ourselves this morning is, how do you become who God meant you to be? You love God and follow him, serve others, develop close relationships, grow in your gifts, and give generously. Why I put giving in there? Why is that in my list of top top five? Well, I think by putting giving in there, in, in our top five list, it actually it shows both us and other people and God himself who's really in charge. Because actually, somebody once put it like this. He said, the wallet is a window to the heart. And actually, if we look at our wallets or, uh, I guess, look at our bank statements or credit card statements, we would see what's important to us. And we would see what really has value in our lives. And by giving generously, by putting God at the very center, by putting him first in our finances... It helps us to put God first in every area of our life. And you know, if we don't have God first in our finances, then we can't have God first in other areas of life as well. As Christians, we're called to be generous people. Now that doesn't just apply to money, it applies to our time, our energy, all the resources that God has given us actually. But you know, generous giving... Is what God calls us to do because it helps us to put him first in our lives. And as well as that, generous giving is a great antidote to materialism. It really is. I think it's probably the best. You know, we live in a sort of society where you know, constantly we're bombarded, aren't we? You only have to go into a, into a news agent and look at some of the sort of magazines, the latest home or, or homes or gardens or cars or whatever it might be. You know, it's this it's sort of there saying, well, this is the way that you can find fulfillment. Or this is the way that, you know, you, you can reach some sort of, you know, you know, satisfaction in life by having a lifestyle like this. You know, we have to look at the uh, interest that we have in, in celebrity culture even today. It's all there and it, it, everything is saying to us, oh, we've got to have a bigger house or bigger car or newer this or that or the other. Actually, that's not what we need to fulfill our lives in God. All we need is to be doing, worshipping him, putting him first, following him and putting him first in our giving as well is a great antidote to some of those things. And actually, it's a great reaction if we feel under pressure in our finances as well. 
to give, give generously. Because it shows God that he's number one in our lives. And we're going to trust him in every area. Generous giving helps you get your priorities straight. God first. And so if God has given you a little, be generous. If God's given you a lot, be very generous. Let's respond to God's invitation because it is an invitation. And what Jesus said here, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now that's not the reason you give, but it's a blessing of God as we give. So let's wrap up. We've talked about how we might respond to God. We've talked about how we might become who God has meant us to be. I'm sure there are other things you could add to the list and maybe there'll be things that are more personal to you or your particular stage of life just now. But how do you set the world on fire? Well, you only have to look through the New Testament to see how the the disciples and the early church turned the world upside down, turned cities on their heads, caused uproar as thousands of people responded to the gospel. Whole cities were changed. Whole whole nations even were, were turned upside down. They really set the world on fire. Could you? 2,000 years later, could you? Absolutely. Absolutely you could. It only took 12 committed followers of Jesus who were thoroughly in love with him and full of the Spirit Turn the world upside down. And here we are, 2,000 or so years later, still living in the good of that, still seeking to make a difference as well. So you might not be a famous person or a well-known celebrity. You may not have your wedding watched by around 2 billion people worldwide. But you can live a life that makes a difference. You can live a life that honours God that lives in the grace of God and that makes a difference to those around you. I want to encourage you this morning, live like that. Be who God meant you to be and you'll set the world on fire. Let's stand together and we'll pray as we close. Thank you, Lord God, that you have called us to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, that we are responding to your invitation. And we thank you, Lord, for the gospel of grace. Thank you, it's not about our, our works or our efforts, but it's about our trusting in what you've accomplished, what you've done, the way that you paid the price that really we should have paid as you died on that cross, Jesus. We do thank you once again for that. We celebrated Easter just last week, but we want to thank you even again this morning that you have made it possible for us to have a relationship with you. And Lord, as we trust you, as we follow you, as we want, you to, put, as we want to put you at the very centre of our lives, we pray you'd help us with these things we looked at this morning. God, help us to be people that really love you and follow you. God, not just on a Sunday morning worship context, 
but in every moment of our lives. Help us to be those lords who love to serve others. Help us to be those who develop close relationships with others, who are committed to one another, who look out for one another, who look for opportunities to serve and love and bless. Lord, help us to be those who know the gifts that you've given us and use them for your glory. And God, help us to be those who live generous lives. Not just in financial terms, though that's part of it, but in the way we live our lives. God, would we be known as generous people? Because we serve a generous and a loving and a gracious God. So God, we thank you for your grace upon our lives. We thank you for being with us this morning. We pray you bless us now. We seek to follow you this week. Uh, We pray for your spirit would uh, be in us in every moment, helping us to live for you. God, give us great opportunities this week to serve others, to speak for you. Be glorified in every moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Come along on any Sunday morning.